0: I was at Shamrock Pool last summer, seems like a long time ago, and a young man jumped into the pool, and when he jumped in, he came back out with his hand up out of the water, and he said, I think I broke my finger. And uh, he hopped out of the pool, I was close by, I went over, and I looked at it, and sure enough, his pinky finger was heading, took a right turn where it wasn't supposed to. And uh, so I said, I looked him in the eyeballs, I said, do you trust me? And he looked back at me with a kind of a look of, I really don't have much of a choice right now. And so, um, so I grabbed a hold of his hand, and I just kind of yanked across his finger. Nothing happened. His finger was still heading in the same direction. I grabbed it again. I yanked across his hand, and sure enough, I could feel his knuckle literally pop back into place. And as soon as, he, as, soon as my hand came across his, he looked at it, did his fingers like this, and realized, hey, my, my, it's still, it's working again. We put a splint on it. He's back in the water in like 15 minutes. Um, anyhow, that's a story about a separation, a separated finger. Today, I want to talk about the most historic separation of all time, and that is the separation that occurred between the Lord Jesus and God the Father while Jesus was hanging on the cross. We're in a short series here leading up to Easter next Sunday called The Last Words. We're looking at some of the last words that Jesus said from the cross, and so we want to just take some time today to talk about one of the things that Jesus said from the cross. It's captured in Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there, or you can just follow along with me on the screen. I'll be reading those. Matthew chapter 27 verses 45 and 46. Here we go. It says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's kind of walk through those verses together for just a few moments. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. You say, Gordon, well, what is the sixth hour? Is that like some sort of a time on our clock? I mean, what would the sixth hour be? Well, if you're, some of your translations may just go ahead and tell you that the sixth hour was noon. The Jewish day begins at 6 p.m. on our clock, um, and then it goes until 6 p.m. the next day. And so that's kind of their 24-hour day. Uh, The middle of their day, therefore, would be 6 a.m., and Jesus was hung on the cross in the morning hours, so the sixth hour would be six hours after 6 a.m. This is the long answer. Um, And so the sixth hour would be noon, so six hours after 6 a.m. would be 12 noon. And that says that darkness covered over all the earth until the ninth hour, which would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. An intense darkness covered over all the land. Now, I'm using the English Standard Version here this morning, and the text notes say, when you're looking at this, it says or earth. It says it covered over all of the land. Again, the text notes say, or the earth. The word in the Greek that's translated there as earth or as land is the Greek word gain. And that word gain has a very specific usage back in um, ancient times. Gain referred to, um, it was soil that was dirt that was good for cultivating. It was dirt that was, was arable soil that you could grow crops in. And it referred specifically to the territory. I've got a map for you here the territory called the Fertile Crescent. And this was a um, kind of a half-moon shape um, from the northern Mesopotamia all the way down and around through Israel into northern Africa. And so uh, that territory back in that time period, the people referred to as the Gains. So and when we read Earth in some of our translations of the Bible, don't think of the whole globe. There's a separate Greek word for that. It's the word cosmos. And this particular occasion it's talking about a specific piece of land, that Fertile Crescent territory, back in Jesus' day, uh, that, that they referred to as the gain. And so uh, when it says that darkness covered over the whole earth, it doesn't mean that it covered over the whole globe, but rather that it covered that particular area, that particular p- part of the world. You say, Gordon, so what was this darkness? What, was the, what, what caused this darkness? I mean, was there some sort of an eclipse of the moon, kind of like we experienced here um, in Georgia some years back ago? Well, it could not possibly have been a solar eclipse of the moon, let me explain to you why. Jesus was crucified on the, 19, or on the 14th day of Nisan, which is one of the Jewish months. And the Jewish months are set on lunar calendars. So they're 28-day months. And so every seventh year, they have a 13th month of their 12-month 12, 12 calendar to catch the calendar back up. But Jesus was crucified during the, during the middle of the month. And so if their months are set up on lunar cat cycles, that means at the beginning of the month, the end of the month, we're talking about a new moon. If Jesus is crucified on the cross on the 14th day of Nisan in the middle of the month between two new moons, then that means that the the moon was what? Y'all are awfully quiet this morning. Uh, That the moon was full. That's right, the moon was full. And if you have a full moon, the reason why it's full is because it's on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. So you can't have an eclipse of the sun when Jesus was hanging on the cross because the moon's on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. You say, then, Gordon, I mean, what was this? Well, this was nothing short of a divine miracle. That's what this was, bringing darkness over all of the gain, that is, all of that particular part of the land, of the earth. You know, there are skeptics of the Bible who, when they hear something like this, say, see, look, the Bible's just a legend. The Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales. That's all this is. But you know, it's interesting that as archaeologists, and historians continue to dig things up out of the ground, how much of the Bible they continue to verify, how much of the Bible they continue to prove. In fact, they haven't, they haven't unverified anything in the Bible from the things that they've dug up out of the ground. A few, for example, a few decades ago, there were some writings uncovered by a Roman historian um, who was writing, who was living in Egypt at the time, during the time of Christ. His name was Dionysius, and I've got a quote here for, from his writings. He writes, Either the God of nature is suffering, writing about this darkness that covered over Egypt at a certain point, we don't know exactly what year, but it was during the life of Christ, either the God of nature is suffering or the machine of the world is tumbling into ruin. Now what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about how in the middle of the day down in Egypt, everything went dark. Now this doesn't happen very often. In the middle of the day, everything going dark, but that's what happened. And this guy Dionysius records this particular happening down in Egypt. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, now, friends, is this the same event as when Jesus was, crucified, was hanging on the cross? We don't know, but the one thing that we can say is that in the middle of the day, the world does not turn dark very often, and this guy lives at the time of Jesus. At least we have to say, at least we have to admit that this is awfully coincidental. Okay, let's go on. So from noon until 3 p.m., darkness covered over all of the land. And during that time, Jesus doesn't say a single word. He just hangs there in silence. And then when the darkness was over, look at what he says. Verse 46, our topic for today. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, a booming voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what's going on with this darkness? I mean, why is this happening? Well, let me see if I can answer that because it's a very important insight. When I'm sitting down in my office, our office is on the on the first floor of the gymnasium, and they're kind of down in the hole. Uh, so we're down the bottom of the basement or the bottom of the gym, and I don't know if it's because I don't get very good self-coverage down there. I don't know what it is. If I get close to the window, five feet away, I get more cell coverage If I'm sitting at my desk in the middle of the room, not so much. I don't know what, what the deal is there, why that happens, but anyhow, um, if I have my... Cell phone sitting on my wonderful cell phone, sitting on my desk, and, um, and it's, it loses the signal every, every so often. And then as I'm sitting there and I've been typing away, I've been studying for a while, all of a sudden my cell phone will just light up. It'll just start buzzing with all the text messages and emails that are coming through. What's happened? Well, my cell phone has gone offline for a little while, and now it's come back and it's found the signal again, and after it's found that signal, and it's been off for a while, all of a sudden all that stuff comes flooding in, and my cell phone starts to go off. It starts to buzz. Now, God works the same way. He's always transmitting. He's always sending out a signal. The issue is whether or not we are receiving that signal. I mean, God's always blasting out of the cell towers. He's never not transmitting. It's whether or not we are receiving what it is that he's saying. And the thing that breaks up the signal between us and God is simply put, sin in our life. Sin corrupts our heart and it causes a separation between us and God. And that's what happened in the garden between Adam and Eve and the Lord. And that's why the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead means that you are spiritually not alive. I mean, you're physically dead. It means that you're spiritually dead, meaning God is transmitting, but we have lost the signal. We don't have the capability of connecting. We're not picking up what God is sending. And to remedy that situation, to reestablish that connection between ourselves and God, God sent Jesus into the world to die in our place. To have the sins of the world heaped on him, on Jesus, while he was on the cross between 12 o'clock noon and 3 p.m. so that your sins and my sins were transferred onto Jesus, thereby restoring our connection between Almighty God and ourselves. Jesus reestablished that connection. Jesus, our Savior, paid the price that was ours to be paid. This is why John the Baptist calls Jesus, John chapter 1 and verse 29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, wrote Isaiah 53 and verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. Now listen for the transfer. And for this reason, the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, Paul writes, For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. One more for you, 1 Peter 2, and verse 24. And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Do you see The transfer from us to Jesus, he bore our sins, your and my sins, on the cross while he was hanging there. You say, okay, okay, Gordon, I get your point. But how did God do this? I mean, how could God take the sins of people that hadn't even committed them yet and place them on the cross? You know what, friends? I have no idea. I have no clue how God accomplished this. I mean, we're talking about the greatest divine act in the history of the world Friends, I don't have a clue how God accomplished this. I don't have a clue how the mechanics of that worked, but I can tell you when it happened. It happened between 12 o'clock noon while Jesus was hanging on the cross on the 14th day of Nisan and 3 p.m. that same same day. Verse 46, And about the ninth hour, as darkness was coming to a close, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Now that word in the Greek, loud, means he literally yelled this out loud, really loud, a guttural kind of a loud, a kind of a deep... um, Uh, tormented kind of aloud. He cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which in English means, my God, my God, Dad, why have you forsaken me? You say, Gordon, why would God God do that? Why would the father abandon the son? Seems like a horrible thing for him to do. Why would he do that, especially in a moment of severe agony? Well, we read through the Old Testament, one of the When we read through the Old Testament, one of the things that stands out is that God is holy. In fact, that's the eternal song of heaven. There's cherubim up there in heaven right now. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they never stop singing it. Holy, holy, holy. It's the uppermost characteristic, if you would, or the uppermost um, feature of who God is. Not that he's love. He is love. Not that he's faithful. He's merciful. He's all those things. But his holiness is the dominant characteristic that God has. And that's why they never stop singing that he's holy, holy, holy. Friends, when we have sin in our heart, it separates us between ourselves and a holy God. And when Jesus bore our sins in his physical body on the cross, it separated him from God the Father. And those three hours as the sins of the world were being heaped on Jesus, a breach occurred between God the Father and God the Son. And the darkness that covered over the world was merely a symbol of this breach of what was happening in the divine relationship, that God the Son had become corrupted with our sin, and that God the Father had to distance himself. So Jesus cries out, My God, my God, Dad, why have you forsaken me? Friends, God cannot tolerate sin even in his own Son. Jesus knew that this was going to be bad, but he didn't know that it was going to be this bad. And so he cried out in agony. Folks, this is the climax of Jesus' ministry. This is mission accomplished on the cross. And what's interesting is that Jesus says three more things from the cross, and then just, I mean, right after he says this, he says three more things, and then boom, 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 he says them, and then he dies. He expires. You know, I think it's safe to say that just about anybody in the world knows that Jesus died on the cross. Jewish people know that Jesus died on the cross. Muslim people know that Jesus died on a cross. Agnostics or secular atheists know that Jesus died on a cross. The whole world knows that Jesus died on the cross. But the one thing many of them don't have a clue about or the foggiest notion about is why Jesus died on the cross. But if you listen to what I've said so far, you should have an understanding of why Jesus died on the cross. He bore our sins in his physical body while he hung on the tree, on the cross. I hope you understand that all the sins of the world were laid upon him. Um, I don't understand how that happened. I don't understand, again, the mechanics of it, but I do know when it happened and that it happened, and that the cross is where Jesus Christ, in order to pay for our sins, was willing to be separated from God for a little while so that we would not have to be separated from God for eternity. And so if you joined us this morning and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never appealed to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never looked to the cross of Christ as the place where you're going to find uh, your eternal destiny, then I'd like to suggest to you this morning that that information about Jesus hanging on the cross and bearing your sins, friends, that that needs to be personalized. It's not enough to say that Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I'm aware of that. It's not enough to say that Jesus died on the cross and that he bore my sins. It's not enough to say that. But we have to personalize it. We have to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. We have to personalize that it was my sin that he bore, that it was my sin that was heaped on him. And friend, until you've personalized it, then you are still lost in your sin. You're still disconnected from Almighty God. Something for you to think about. Okay, well, that's our text for today, that's our treatment of this topic, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question that we ask every week around here, what difference does this make to my life? Well, let's talk about that. I wonder if what Jesus said on the cross was ever how you felt. Maybe you felt that way recently. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, when I needed you. God, when I wanted you. God, when I didn't understand what was going on around me. God, when I was hurting, God, when I needed your help, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? You ever been there? I have. It's been some years back, I was serving as a youth pastor in South Georgia, and one of my, I got a phone call one day that one of my students had committed suicide. Seventh grade young man, he knew the Lord, we knew that he knew the Lord. Um. It was a complete shock to his family. It was a complete shock to all the students in our ministry. It was a complete shock to me, to his teachers. None of us saw this coming. There were absolutely no warning signs. A real tragedy. I went out to the house that evening. I knocked on the door. The father came to the door. Eyes completely bloodshot. His eyes were swollen. He greeted me, hugged me. We walked into the kitchen together, sat down with he and his wife and their family. We walked back to his son's bedroom. His dad produced a piece of paper. And it was a piece of paper where I'd, I'd asked all of our students to write down a, what we think of as a sinner's prayer, a way, something Billy Graham might have prayed back in the day, to lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus, to lead somebody a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer of inviting Jesus into your life. So I asked all of our students, if they would, to write down a prayer like that while they're at home during their quiet time. And this young man had done that. And his dad produced the piece of paper with his, um, that his son had written out, the sinner's prayer. It was a, um, again, it was a prayer that the students could use to go t- show other students and say, hey, look, if you want to establish a relationship with Jesus, I'll lead you in this prayer and you can meet Jesus right now. In that moment, that piece of paper was the only thing that gave that father hope. It was the only thing. To know that his son was in heaven for eternity because his his son had prayed and invited Jesus into his life and had come into a meaningful relationship with the Lord. Do you suppose, though, in that moment that that father was still feeling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you suppose that in that moment that father felt a little bit of abandonment, a little bit of forsakenness by God? You know, he's not alone. Some of us have endured great tragedy. Some of us have endured great hardship in life. And it leaves us feeling, I mean, it's a legitimate question. Why have you forsaken me? Some of us have endured great suffering, physical or emotional. Some of us have watched our children or those that we love endure suffering and tragedy. And in moments like that, we find ourselves wondering, God, have you forsaken me? Well, I want to show you one more passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 13. Middle of the verse. Jesus says, Neither will I ever leave you. Never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Folks, I have to tell you, when I think back to the tragedy of that family and what they experienced, leaves me a little confused. I hear Jesus on the one hand saying, never will I leave you, and then I see this family in crisis experiencing this terrible tragedy going, God, are you sure you were there? Why did you let this happen? Confused because I don't understand why God would allow such things. Still doesn't make sense to me. But I got a decision to make when I feel like that. Either I'm going to believe what God tells me in the Bible, or I'm not. Either I'm going to believe or I'm going to trust in God in that moment of confusion, or I'm not. Either I'm going to believe that God has a bigger plan, and it's for the good of those who love him, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. It has plans not to harm me, but to prosper me, Jeremiah 29, 11. Either I'm going to accept his promise, or I'm not and if I choose not to accept it then I'm just going to throw this thing called Christianity out the door and I'm just going to find something else I'm going to go on my way but that's the decision that we have to make that when we don't understand and things don't go the way that we want that it's in that moment that we have to make that decision I'm going to trust in God and his promises that's why the Bible says we don't walk by sight the Bible doesn't say that we walk by understanding. The Bible doesn't say that we walk by always getting our own way. No, the Bible says that we walk by faith. We walk by trusting God's promises. We walk by holding his hand, saying, God, I don't have a clue why this is happening, but I'm going to hold on to you. Many of us know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you felt that sense of forsakenness recently. Friends, I urge you that when the darkness gathers, I urge you to keep trusting in God, to believe in his promises, because the next thing that Jesus said from the cross after he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's the Lord Jesus for us saying exactly what we need to say. Oftentimes when I'm praying with people at the hospital, they're getting ready to go into surgery or they have just experienced some intense loss, I'll pray with them at the end of the prayer, God, it is into your hands that we commit this person. It's into your hands that we commit this situation. And then I'll follow it up with the words because that's the very best place in the world for any of us to be. Friends, we need to follow Jesus' example when we don't understand to commit ourselves into God's hands. And friends, when we do that, when we commit our situation, when we commit ourselves, when we commit this country into God's hands, Philippians chapter 4 tells us that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can turn to you in times of crisis. That we can hang on to your promises. You're a God who does not lie. You're a God who always tells the truth. And Lord, you've made us a promise that you would never leave us, you would never forsake us, that you're working out your plans for our good, plans to prosper us, not to harm us. And so Jesus, in those moments of our life, some of us are experiencing it right now when we don't understand, when things are not going our way. God, we have a decision to make. And today, in these quiet moments, Lord, we say to you, we believe. We trust you. It's into your capable hands. We commit this situation. It's into your capable hands that we commit our loved ones. It's into your hands we commit all this uncertainty because, Lord, that is the very best place in the world for any of us to be. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We love you. We miss you. We look forward to being with you in our prayer Zoom prayer service tomorrow evening. Have a blessed day.